I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13 tonight. Just as a reminder, Timothy um, is a young pastor of a church in Ephesus and Paul is writing to him many wise things, but mainly so far we've looked at um, things around sound doctrine, um, church worship and now church leadership. So let me read from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Well, good evening. Uh, hopefully this microphone will work in a second. Here we go. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Wollongong Baptist Church. If I'm yet to meet you, I'd love to meet you over dinner. Please stick around. It is on us if you're new or visiting. Uh, heads up, um, most weeks here at 6 p.m. church, we have question time after the sermon. So if you have a question, uh, please text it into the phone number on the screen as we continue to look at this uh, series called Shipwrecked in 1 Timothy. Uh, but before I kick off and pray, um, I'm just going to do a few things myself, and I want to pray and get myself settled. And I want you to turn to the person next to you, say hi, introduce yourself if you don't know them, and ask them this simple question. What characteristics do you think makes a good leader? What characteristics do you think makes a good leader? So turn to the person next to you and have a chat. Alrighty. Maybe bring those conversations to a close and uh, continue them over dinner after the service. I'm just going to pray now. And so if you're someone uh, that likes to pray to, or talk to God, please pray with me um, as I pray to our good God. So let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you so much that a gift that it is, that it is practical, that it is relevant, that it teaches us how to live and that it teaches us about your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray tonight that you may help us to understand how we can be more like him, love him, and worship him. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. 
Uh, I'm a little bit obsessed with the topic of leadership. I don't know if you are personally. If you look at my bookshelf, be it my physical one, which is currently in my garage because I'm renovating, or my digital one, which is on my computer, you'll see that I have a lot of books on leadership. On leadership. One of my favorite books, just to give you an example, is this book called The Silent Language of Leaders. And it's about body language. And I try to teach you to understand uh, what people are really communicating when they talk to you, whether or not you know, they've got closed body language or open body language. Uh, one tip in the book was before you do public speaking, such as maybe preaching, uh, that you should go into the bathroom, that you should look at the mirror, and you do power stance and yell at yourself and say, you can do it. Maybe you've seen me do that in the bathroom before church. I'm not too sure. I don't know about you, but personally, I like books on leadership. I, I like reading articles on leadership. I like reading about Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or how you say his name. You know, I love learning about leadership and I'm not the only person. I looked on Amazon.com this week and there's about 50,000 books on leadership. That stacks. And if you go to, I guess, any news website right now, what's going to be the main article? It's going to be about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and who's going to be the next leader of the United States. I'm a little bit obsessed with leadership, the world's a little bit obsessed, and so are Christians, so is, so is the church. You see, this week, not only did I look at Amazon.com, but I also looked at Kurong.com. If you don't know what Kurong is, it's basically the Christian version of Amazon, just for books. And anyway, I searched for leadership books, and there was 2,000 books on leadership. Now you're like, is that a lot? Don't really know. Okay, let me tell you. There was 6,000 on Jesus, so that's good, but then there was only 800 on the Holy Spirit, so there's three times more books, basically, on leadership than there was on the third member of the Trinity. Christians, churches, the world, myself, interested in leadership. And you know what? So was the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus. Because in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 13, he talks about leadership. Specifically, he talks about the leaders of pastors and of deacons. And it's interesting because in this book, he's writing to a church that had bad leaders. And the reason why I'm a little bit obsessed with it, the reason why the world's a little bit obsessed with it, and the church is obsessed with leadership, is because the reality is we all know the wisdom that if you have a good leader, you'll most likely have success. If you have a bad leader, you'll most likely have failure. And this church had bad leaders, had false teachers who were teaching incorrect things, who were hypocrites, men who were manipulating women for power and for sex, who were drunkards, who were turning the church into a fight club rather than a Christian community. You see, Paul knew that leadership was important and it was important for this church, which is why he wrote this chapter, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 13, as he talks about pastors and deacons. Now, you might not know this about me, but my name is Joel Deacon, and I'm also a pastor and so basically, this chapter is about me, if you want to put it that way, okay? It's very relevant to me. I'm a pastor and I'm a deacon. But hopefully, it should also be relevant to you too. And I'll explain in a moment why. But as we look at this chapter, there's a big question I want you to keep in mind. And the big question is a simple one. It's this. What does God look for in a leader? What does God look for in a leader? So if you've got your Bibles... Keep them open at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to go through this, and we're going to talk about the pastors first, and then we're going to talk about the deacons second. Now, before I start reading verses 1 to 7, some of you might be thinking, Joel, how is this going to be relevant to me? 
Like maybe you're thinking, Joel, I'm not a pastor. I have no desire to be a pastor or a deacon. No offense, I don't want to be like you. That's okay. So how is this relevant to me? Let me tell you why. Firstly, this chapter is relevant if you're a Christian because it teaches us what is the standards for Christian leadership. It's not a secret. When you go to, I guess, elect or appoint a pastor, these are the standards. These are the standards. Also, if you have a desire to be a church leader, here are the standards for you to understand that you should uh, reach to, I guess, in terms of maturity. So if you want to be a pastor or for the sake of a church, this is important. But also, this list is important if you're a Christian who has no aspiration of being a leader because this, I guess, quali- these qualifications or this passage is like a checklist on Christian maturity. So even if you're not a pastor or designed to be a pastor, you can look at this checklist and go, how am I going in my walk with God? How am I going in my maturity? And finally, if you're here tonight, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, Joel, how is this going to be relevant to me? Great question. I think this would be relevant because it will give you a snapshot of what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus. It will give you a snapshot of what it looks like to be a Christian and what it looks like for a Christian leader. Anyway, hopefully I've convinced you. You've got your Bibles, open them up. They're going to be on the screen as well. And I'm going to read to us uh, verses 1 to 7 from chapter 3. So Apostle Paul, he says this. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, by the way, an overseer is like a synonym for pastor or elder. Just keep that in mind. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Straight away, verse 1, Apostle Paul says that being a pastor is a good task. It's a noble task. And so if you desire to be a pastor, that's a good thing. But then in verse 2 onwards, he says, but be careful, because being a pastor is a difficult task. It's a difficult task. Now, why is that the case? Well, because in verse 2 to 7, the Apostle Paul gives 14 qualifications to what it looks like to be a pastor. And these are high standards. This is a high standard if you want to be a pastor. You want to know why? Because the Apostle Paul, he doesn't talk about like experience, doesn't talk about skills, he doesn't talk about, you know, their Bible college marks or the degrees they have. But he talks about character. He talks about character. And that makes this job so much harder. Like, I want you to think about this for a second, right? I don't know if you've thought of this before, but I can get fired for so many more reasons than you can get fired for in your job, okay? Like, let me give you a simple one. If you're a bus driver and you're a terrible husband, you probably won't get fired. If you're a teacher and you're a terrible parent, you probably won't get fired, If you work at a bar and you get drunk on the weekends, you probably won't get fired. If you're a salesman and you love money, you probably get promoted rather than fired. But for me, if that was for me in any of those cases, I will and should be fired. To be a pastor is a high standard. And it's important that it should be. I don't know if you know this, but um, I've been a pastor at this uh, church since the start of the year. And I got interviewed for this job at the same time as Mark, another pastor, so at the same time, about a year and a half ago. Our interview went for four hours. And the first three hours was focused on my character. 
as we basically went through these qualifications and the elders in this room, because they love you guys, got me to see if I'm up to this standard and give you examples of how I am respectable or hospitable and able to teach or not given to drunkenness. This is a high standard. But it's also not only a good standard for pastors, it's a checklist for Christian maturity. Anyway, saying all this, I think it's helpful we actually look through these 14 qualifications and understand what it says about a pastor. Now, heads up, one of the 14 is a skill. It's got to do with teaching, and so I'll come to that last. But the other 13, I want us to talk about, and I want us to talk about in categories, because 13 is just too many numbers to take in at once. And so I want to categorize these characteristics into four different types of relationships that the pastor has. The first one is the pastor's relationship with God. Second one is the pastor's relationship with his family. The third one is the pastor's relationship with himself. And the final one is his relationship with others. So let's, let's go through these four different relationships and how um, the pastor's character should look like. Firstly, starting with his relationship with God. What does Apostle Paul says, say? In verse 2, he says, The overseer is to be above reproach. Above reproach. Now, what he's basically saying here is that the pastor is to be beyond criticism. Or in other words, that the pastor is to be a mature man of God. And you're thinking, what should he be above reproach for? Well, he should fulfill all these things that come afterwards. That he shouldn't be given to drunkenness, love his wife, be temperate and such. He is to be a mature follower of Jesus. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Like, you guys would not be able to listen to me if you had to keep on rebuking me all the time. That's the first thing. You've got to be a mature man of God. Secondly, the pastor Paul, or Paul says that the pastor should be, or not be, sorry, a recent convert. Now, he should be a Christian, right? Like, you can't lead Jesus' team until you're on Jesus' team. But at the same time, he shouldn't be a recent convert. Why? Well, because he might fall into temptations, he might be arrogant and fall to pride like the devil. So I'm clear. I love this job. I'm really thankful for this job and the, and the gift it is to pastor you guys. But if I'm straight, it's a dangerous job. It's a dangerous job. People come to you for counsel, for guidance, for help. The temptations are huge, but also the punishments are great if you fall short. And it's because God loves people, He doesn't want new followers of Jesus to be in leadership. Instead, He wants someone who's above reproach, someone who is mature in their faith. So, in regards to relationship with God, the pastor is to be a mature follower of Jesus. Let's now look at the pastor and his relationship with his family. In this passage, it talks about the pastor's relationship with his wife and also the pastor's relationship with his children. Now, I love this. In the Greek, in verse 2, the Greek, by the way, is the original language that the Bible was written in, in the New Testament, that is. Uh, it says here that he is to be faithful to his wife in our translation. But in the Greek, it says this. It says the pastor is to be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. I like that. It's good. Now, let me explain what this means. Let me first explain what it means by saying what it doesn't mean, okay? Now, now what this passage is not saying is that if you're single, you cannot be a pastor, okay? It's not saying that, okay? Have you ever heard of Jesus? He was a really good pastor. He was single. He was not married. Even the guy Paul who wrote this book was single, not married. So Paul's not saying that, that a pastor I mean, has to be married. And at the same time, I think what he's saying here is that he assumes that most pastors will be married and will have children. And I think that's because it's very, very, very difficult to be a pastor and to be single. Now, 
come uh, joke around here, but like, like just imagine for a second dating your pastor and then imagine having to dump your pastor or be, be dumped by your pastor. Like imagine how awkward that would be on the following Sunday. Or imagine if you want to go talk to someone about it, such as your pastor. You can't because he just dumped you. You know, like it's just awkward. Now I'm not saying you, you have to be, but I think it's very, very hard if you're not. Now what is the text saying? Well, the text is saying clearly that pastors can get married. You know, I've been a pastor this year and whenever I meet people who are outside of church, they're like, oh, so like, are you like a priest? Can you not like get married and have sex? And I'm like, yes, I can get married. I have had sex and I have two children who look like me, are crazy like me to prove it. Yes, I can. It's biblical. It's right here. I should do it. Now, what's it all really saying here though? It's trying to say that a pastor should be faithful to his wife, a one woman man. He should be faithful to his wife. That he shouldn't flirt with anyone else. He shouldn't look at pornography. He should be faithful to his wife. That's what a pastor should be. And if you don't necessarily want to be a pastor, but you want to be a mature Christian, you should also be faithful to your spouse. You should either be a one-woman man or a one-man woman. <laughs> I think I got there. Okay? Now, so I'm clear. I'm married to my wife, Emma. She's here tonight with my boys. I love my wife. I adore my wife. I'm so thankful for her. I couldn't do this job without her. And I want to take this opportunity to say thank you to so many of you that pray for our marriage and also babysit for us. So I can take Emma out and we get some Mexican. We go play Pokemon when it was cool. You know, like, I am thankful for you guys and how you love us in that way. And please continue to pray for our marriage. So the pastor is to be a one-woman man. What about his family? Well, the Paul says here that the pastor needs to manage his family well. Manage his family well. Look, this is simple. If, if the pastor's own children won't respect him, then why should the church respect him? You know, pastors, you know, they are to love their own family first. I'm to love my children before I love you. And so as a result, I'll say no to a few things so I can say yes to them. But also, I want to make this clear. If you're a father in this room, you're a little pastor. Like you've got your own flock for you to love, to engage, to evangelize, to protect. And so is me. Outside of the church, I'm a little pastor. And what Paul's saying here is that the pastor should firstly be a pastor at home and love his family well before he pastors the church. He should provide, lead, love his family sacrificially and then do so to the church. Recently, I had dinner uh, with Isaac and Sarah Rodwell, uh, which was awesome. They had us over for dinner. And I got to talk to Isaac in particular about like, how he became a Christian and why he loves Jesus. And he explained to me that his dad, Steve, I don't know if he's here tonight, I'm going to embarrass him if he is, but his dad, Steve, loved him really well, taught him the Bible as they grew up. And I was like, my man, like, that's the sort of story I want to hear from my boys in 20 years' time when they're having dinner with someone else. That they say, my dad loved us and taught us the Bible. If you're a father here tonight, is that something we're doing or something that we could do better? Pastors and mature Christians love their families well. So that's relationship with family. What about relationship with self? We'll go a bit quicker here. Apostle Paul says that the pastor or a mature Christian should be temperate, self-controlled, not given to drunkenness, not a lover of money. Firstly, they should be temperate, or in other words, level-headed. I'm going to be straight with you. I love ministry, but you need to have stability in ministry. You can get a bit chaotic. You need to have emotional stability. To be honest with you, this is one of the things I love about Pastor Mark. The guy's solid. He finds his identity in Christ, and I'm so thankful for him. But if you want to be a mature Christian, you're going to be persecuted for your faith, and therefore you need to find your identity in Jesus and be level-headed. Self-controlled. 
The pastor is to be self-controlled, what he eats, how he sleeps, how he uses his time. I don't know if you know this, I don't have timesheets. I don't fill in things, send it to Rod, and he ticks them off. Does not happen. I need to be self-controlled with my time. Pastors not to be given to drunkenness. In the Old Testament, wine is talked about as a good thing, but drunkenness is always talked about as a bad, evil thing. And so in the New Testament, the pastor and anyone who's a mature Christian is not to be given to drunkenness. Why? Because Jesus has saved us from addiction to freedom, not to be under addiction or under the influence of any other spirit but the Holy Spirit. Finally, lover of money. In our world, our world will say to us that you should use people to gain money. The pastor knows because he loves people that he uses money to gain people, that he's generous like Jesus is generous. And so will a mature Christian be. What about relationship with others? This is the final relationship. Paul says this, The pastor should be respectable, hospitable, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and have a good reputation with outsiders. Respectable. If I'm honest with you, as your pastor, I should be someone that you want your children to grow up to be like. And so should our other pastors. We should be men worthy to be imitated. And so if you want to know if you're a mature Christian, ask yourself, am I living a life that is worthy to be imitated? Hospitable. Pastors are to have people over their house and to love them. Specifically, those who don't know Jesus yet, they're to love them and have them over at their house. I was super encouraged to hear about Brad and Amy Parsons, who recently had their neighbors over, loved them, fed them, talked to them. Can we do the same? Pastors to be gentle, not quarrelsome. If I'm honest with you, this is what I love about our senior pastor, Rod. If you talk to him, he knows how much he loves you. Like he can disagree with you with a smile on your face and you'll still love him. He's just, he's just a gentle, he's not violent, and he loves you dearly. That's what I love about him as a, as a pastor and also as our, as our boss for Mark and I. Finally, good reputation with outsiders. Pastors as well as mature Christians have friends of those who don't know yet Jews, not, not, do not know Jesus yet. So that's the characteristics of a pastor or a mature Christian, relationship with God, relationship with family, relationship with themselves, and relationship with others. What about the ability to teach? the one skill. Two weeks ago, I talked about uh, how men are to be, are they, uh, sorry, that uh, men, not women, can be and only can be the pastors and the elders in a church. And I, I came to this passage and showed you how overseers or elders who are men need to have the ability to teach. What I want to unpack for you or say here tonight is that before you can teach God's Word, you need to study God's Word. And what I want to say to you is that this is not an easy job. You know, this might look like a glorious job. I get up on the platform, tell you a few stories, hopefully try to make you laugh or fail at doing so. I do what I can, but I do that so that I may teach you the Bible. This is a tough job. I'm not going to lie. Two weeks ago, after I preached that sermon, I went home down, depressed, in the car, thinking, who on earth wants to teach? Who on earth wants to preach the Bible? Can I even keep on doing this? This is a difficult task. Yes, it's a joyful one, but it takes hard work. I went to Bible college for three years, not to study so I should get, a, so I get a, like a certificate, a master's degree, so that a church can look at it and go, whoa, that's impressive, let's hire you. I, I have no idea what that certificate or piece of paper is. I went to Bible college for three years so I may know God's Word and so I may teach it more faithfully and fruitfully. It takes sacrifice, tears, energy. You kill yourself week in, week out to try and preach the Bible. If anyone's ever done that, they would know the pain that comes with it. And so I want to say I'm very thankful for this job. But I want to make this clear. Teaching is not easy. 
And so it may look like a glorious job, but it's not as glorious as what it looks like. And so please be praying for myself, for Rod, for Mark, for other people that get on this stage and proclaim the Word of God to you. Like, think about this for a second. I get up here and I tell you, you're sinful. You need to follow Jesus and change your life. Do you think people like that when I say that? It's not easy. It's not easy. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, Joel, I get this. A lot of focus on the pastor. How do I apply this to myself? What I want to say to you is this. You need to pray that our church raises men like this, that we equip men like this to be leaders in this church and beyond. You need to keep the elders and pastors accountable to this standard. And finally, you're to pray for us. You're to pray for us, for the elders and the pastors here, because this is a tough task. We are thankful and it's a joyful task, but still a tough one. Because the reality is we are sinners just like everyone else. The reality is we need grace and God's Holy Spirit. And the truth is we don't want to fall into the trap of Satan. We don't want to be proud men. We want to be humble men who love God and point you to Him. Specifically in regards to pastors, I want to give you a few statistics, not to scare you, but just to help you understand the environment in which we're in. Statistically, 50% of pastors will not be in ministry for longer than five years. Statistically, only 10% of pastors will retire as pastors. Statistically, 50, uh, sorry, 90% of pastors work 55 to 75 hours a week. On my bookshelf, I'm talking about my bookshelf a lot, um, but on my bookshelf, there's four influential authors who have influenced my life, who have written amazing books, preached great sermons, who are still not pastors because of some sin. Pastor who changed my life and preached a sermon to a 16-year-old Joel Deacon when I gave my life to Jesus is, is not a pastor anymore. And so please be praying for us. We love you guys. We feel well supported, but we are human and we need prayer. We need prayer. That's the pastors. Let's now, let's now move on to the deacons. Another great group of people, I must say. Let's have a look at this and let's look at verses 8 to 13. Let me read this to you. Apostle Paul says this to Timothy. He says, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well get an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe you're thinking, there's a lot of similarities here between deacons and elders, and there are. There's some differences as well. But let me point out to you the similarities. Basically, deacons are to be godly men or godly people, sorry, just like the elders. They're to be respectable, not drunkards, not lovers of money, faithful to their wives, good managers of their household. They're to be mature followers of Jesus. At the same time, deacons, and if you don't know what the word deacon means, it means servants, are to be, in many ways, different to elders. See, they don't need the ability to teach, because they're not the main teachers, but instead they are servants in the church. They need to be examined, unlike the elders, because most likely they potentially could be new converts, unlike the elders. They had to hold to the deep truths of the faith rather than teach the deep truths of the faith. And maybe you're wondering, how do do deacons and elders, how do they work together? Does one rule over the other? Well, a simple but helpful analogy is that deacons and elders is like a right hand and a left hand. They work alongside one another. As the elders lead and have oversight over the church, the deacons serve alongside 
just like a left hand is just as helpful and just as needed to a right hand. In regards to deacons, there is official deacons. We have deacons in our church um, that they are uh, who do our property, our treasure, our finance, sorry, that's the same thing, um, and, and do our meetings, and I'm very thankful for them. But at the same time, all of us are deacons if you serve. See, Jesus, He said in Mark 10 that I did not come to be served, but to serve. And He calls His followers to do the same thing. And so, the truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus and if you serve, you are like me. You are a deacon. You serve the church. And I'm so thankful for so many of you that do. In this group of people here, about two-thirds of you serve in our church. And you guys are my heroes. Like, literally, I'm so thankful for you guys. I'll give you one example. One guy I tell him this all the time is my hero is Matt Inns. He's a dude that sings to us here at 6 p.m. at night. But in the morning, he gets to church early so he can talk to my children and other children about Jesus. And there's so many others of you that slave away and come here and serve your God. You deacon, so to speak, because you love Jesus. And I'm thankful for you. And if you're thinking, Joel, I'd like to serve more, I'd like to get to serve in general, please go talk to Beth Kime. She's somewhere. There she is. She's in charge of gospel-centered service. Or in other words, gospel-centered deaconing, if you want to put it that way. Now, as we come to end on this deacon topic, there's one elephant in the room I think is worth talking about. And the question is this, can women be deacons? In your translation in verse 11, you might, it might say in the same way, the wives... In other words, the wives of the deacons are to be dot, dot, dot. While the translation we looked at tonight says, in the same way, the women are to be dot, dot, dot. And like, what's going on here, Joel? In the Greek, the original language, I'm sorry I'm talking about this so much, but the word for wives and for women is the same word. It's gyne, okay? And so the way you translate it depends upon the context as to whether or not you translate it as wife or you translate it as woman. So, let me give you two reasons why you can translate this as wives, and then let me give you four reasons why you should translate it as women, because uh, that's what I believe and what our church believes the Bible says here. In regards to how or why it should be translated as wives, um, it seems a bit awkward in the structure of this part of the Bible that Apostle Paul would talk about male deacons, then female deacons, and then male deacons again. It seems a bit awkward. That's one reason. Another reason is in verse 12... The word gyne is translated as wife. And so you think, okay, immediate context, shouldn't it also be translated as wives in verse 11? Now let me give you four reasons why I believe it should be translated as women. If you look at verse 8 and verse 11, the sentence structure is pretty similar. It says, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, verse 8, and then verse 11. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. And so in verse 8, it's introducing a new category of deacons. And I think in verse 11, it's also introducing a new category of female deacons. Also, in verse 8, it could have said their deacons, or it could have said the, deacon, the wives of deacons, but it doesn't. It just uses that one word. Also, secondly, in Romans 16, it talks about a woman called Phoebe, and they call her a deacon. I think that's pretty convincing. And a third reason is it's a bit odd that the Apostle Paul talks about the deacons' wives, if that's how you translate it, rather than the overseers' wives. And the final reason, which is outside of the Bible, is if you look at church history, from as early as AD 112, very close after this was written, there is mention of female deacons in the church. For me, that's convincing enough that I think that women can be and should be deacons, and one is in our church. So, what does God look for in a leader? What does God look for in a leader? He looks for a mature follower of Jesus. He looks for someone who loves Jesus, but also looks like Jesus. 
standards are high. They're really high and they should be high because the church is God's primary vehicle for proclaiming the gospel, for bringing sinners to himself, for making people holy and that there's too much at stake if the leaders fall short and don't meet the standard. At the same time, I don't know about you, but maybe if you're thinking about yourself and how you want to mature in your faith, you're thinking, man, this is, this is pretty hard work. This is a high standard. Or myself, as I was writing this sermon this week, if I'm honest with you, I just felt burdened. I was like, man, am I living up to this day in, day out? This is a tough task. This is a tough standard. How could I possibly uphold this? Like, I'm human. And maybe you're thinking the same. You're like, Joel, how do you keep being motivated to serve? How do you keep being motivated to live up to this high standard? And the answer is simple. You focus on Jesus. You focus on Jesus and the gift of his Holy Spirit. You see, the reality is we all need motivation to keep on serving. Maddie needs motivation to get up each Sunday morning and come talk to little brats, or not brats, they're my children, but they can be. Anyway, kids about Jesus. You know, you need motivation to come and sing here or come and to serve people. And that motivation comes from looking at Jesus. You see, Jesus is the answer. He perfectly met these high standards. He is the perfect shepherd who protects his flock by going to the cross to defeat Satan, sin, and death. He is the perfect deacon who gave his life and served us rather than being served. You see, the more you love Jesus, the more you'll become like him. You know, the more you love Jesus and understand how he loves you and welcomes you into your family, the easier it'll be for you to love your family. The more you understand that Jesus is faithful to you, the more you, the easier sorry, it would be for you to be faithful to your spouse. The more you understand how that Jesus was gentle, the easier it is for you to be gentle. The more that you understand that Jesus loves those who are outside of the church, the easier it would be for you to do the same. The more you understand that Jesus went to the cross for your sin, the easier it would be for you to kill your sin. The more you understand that Jesus was generous to you at the cross, the easier it would be for you to be generous just like him. And the more you understand how Jesus was hospitable at the cross when he welcomed you into his family, the easier it would be for you to do the same. We are to focus on Jesus and we're to rely on his gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're to read books about the Holy Spirit rather than leadership. And I'm speaking to myself there. We're to ask for his guidance and direction and empowerment. You know, our world, including myself, is fascinated with great leaders. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, I know sports captains. We need to be fascinated with the greatest leader of all time, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who's had more songs sung about him, more books written about him, more artwork created of him than anyone else who has lived in history. Jesus, who has got more followers than anyone else. Jesus, who has changed history, changed billions of people's lives, changed my life and can change your life as well if you put your faith in him and follow him. If you humble yourself before him and say, you're my Lord and King, I want to follow you, I want to love you, I want to be like you. What does God look for in a leader? He looks for someone who's a mature follower of Jesus. He looks for someone who loves Jesus, but also looks like him. How about I pray to close? Father God, we want to thank you so much for your son Jesus and how he is our ultimate leader. Even though men and women on this earth may fall and let us down, the truth is you never will. We thank you so much for the perfect leader he is. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to follow him, to love him, and to be like him. And Lord, I pray that you help us as a church to raise up leaders who meet this standard, who are like your son, Jesus. 
And Lord, I pray not just for our church, but other churches, because the gospel is important. Souls need to be saved and people need to come to know you and love you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.